Our speaker this morning is a man who is known, I believe, far and wide for the restorative impact he has on communities. Mac McCarter is founder and organizer, coordinator of Community Renewal International, an organization whose purpose is to build safe and caring communities in cities. Mac has said that a lifetime of ministry taught him that cities rest on a foundation of relationships. When relationships disintegrate, a city begins to sink. It was realization of this truth which led him to the creation of Community Renewal International. After serving as a pastor for 18 years in Texas, Mac returned to Shreveport in 1991 to begin implementing his vision for community renewal. He believes that, quote, we are fulfilled only as we serve others. We are complete only as we give ourselves to others. And we are perfected only as we seek to love others, end quote. Community Renewal International was formally organized in 1994. And on reflecting, Mac thinks the first time he spoke here was late that year. Under his leadership, it has grown into an organization which has received national and international recognition. And in 1997, all souls awarded Mac the Ralph Waldo Emerson Award, which is but one among many honors that he and his organization have received. We welcome you back to our pulpit, Mac. Mac McCarter. special it is <clears throat> to be with you and to uh, look out and, and see dear friends, uh, but also to sit here and reflect on the fact that it was uh, 17 years ago <clears throat> that uh, the very first public uh, expression within a, uh, a faith gathering took place here at, at All Souls. And so uh, I'm, I'm sitting flooded by a whole practical uh, maelstrom of memories that, uh, that threaten to drown my, my mind before I ever get up. <clears throat> and I am so glad to be here because, you know, as, uh, as the years unfold 17 years ago, it, it just seems, it seems like yesterday that I was here. And how grateful I am for this place of faith and this great people of faith uh, for all of you and for the uh, regenerative services that uh, we're a part of today. I, I have to say that you give Barbara Gerald a guitar and folks, if she doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. <laughs> 
I'm just, I'm here to tell you. So I'd forgotten, Barbara. I was, I, I didn't want to embarrass myself by jumping backwards over the pew, but, uh, but I felt like it. But uh, when I spoke here 17 years ago, I spoke about the fact that, uh, that if we could begin to rebuild on just the, the streets where we live, and we call it the Haven House Plan, and if we could train folks to reach out and through the power of friendship, uh, rebuild relationships just where we live, uh, and did that all over the city, then perhaps we could live our way into a new city. And there were five uh, folks that responded. They were our very first five Haven House leaders. We now have over 1,200 uh, who've been trained in Shreveport. But the first five came from the congregation here at All Souls. Debbie was one of them, Debbie and John. Uh, they were part of our group, and Trisha Took, and uh, uh, I'm thinking John Rosser, uh, who's now gone on to uh, a great beyond and a great mystery that will unfold for all of us. And uh, a great fella. If you uh, knew John and saw you know, the power of his life, uh, it was just incredible. So we, it was almost saying we few, we, we uh, lucky few, we band of brothers and sisters, and it started at All Souls, for which I'm grateful. The other thing I had to tell you that I was sitting here thinking, uh, now that, <clears throat> that we're building bridges in, in many cities, I'm having to spend a uh, one week uh, every month in Washington, D.C., because the whole uh, model for community renewal that, that we've walked out here in Shreveport and Bossier City is now taking place in our nation's capital. Uh, but I started thinking, I don't believe I ever want to go back there without taking the Barkers. Would all the Barkers just lift up your hand? <laughs> we've got to have you. It will be the Barkers that change the world. I'm changed the world. I'm convinced. <laughs> I love all of you. I mean, it's great. And we've got enthusiastic Barkers here. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't move mountains, I <laughs> uh, But it's good to be here. And I'm delighted to uh, share. Uh, for a few moments. Uh, now, you know when an old preacher says for a few moments that he's got about 35 minutes left. And then, then if I say, as I go to my seat, look at your watch because there's still 15 minutes more. <laughs> and in conclusion, another seven minutes. But, I, but I'll try to not be what, uh, as loquacious as, as is our want and our vocation. But I'm immensely grateful to share for a few moments uh, with this stupendous uh, group of faith folks here and your family of faith uh, here at uh, All Souls. It's a meaningful time. Well, <clears throat> we, we have much to celebrate. Uh, today is Phil Howell's birthday, and, and I was sitting there thinking, Henry, you and I... And, and maybe John would say, oh, to be 60 again. <laughs> it would just be great if we could be 60 again, could run like a deer. We can, we can, 
<laughs> we could celebrate celebrate uh, daylight savings time. So there's always, you know, there's always something to wake up and celebrate. Uh, but we also are cognizant as we remember in the lighting of the candles that uh, that there is uh, there are vast wounds in our race in hum- in the human race today untold suffering that we can't calculate and as the news is going to continue to roll in uh, it's going to call forth from all of us a new dedication to fight those forces of disintegration and darkness physically, emotionally, socially, politically, all around us. And so, in ways that we could not have envisioned in the 1940s, in the early 1940s, our brothers and sisters in Japan uh, need us. And we need to be with them. But you know, I was also thinking, having been born and reared in Shreveport, Louisiana, that we have perhaps not been as cognizant of a silent tsunami that has been generational here where we live, that has drowned countless lives and hopes and dreams and joys of our poor, of our disenfranchised, and for those who, uh, when I grew up here, had a different hue of, of outer covering that we call skin, while at the same time having that divine spark that makes us all one. And that silent hue tsunami has been just as devastating. It has been just as catastrophic uh, I have to share that <clears throat> to my surprise, and I hadn't intended to, to say anything, but I had supper uh, Friday night with C.O. Simpkins and his wife, who was a wonderful uh, worker and mover in the common rights of all of us, and I don't know how many times C.O. had to go to jail. And C.O. put in my hands, and this is very interesting for those of us that have a, a, a love of our city and a, an appreciation also of uh, her dysfunction, but also the prospects that we could have together here. And it was a little book called The Story of Shreveport. And I'd never heard of it, and I've read a, a lot about the history of our city. It was written in 1953. It was paperback. And it was a small book, and it wasn't circulated much. But, quote, it was done by the social services of Shreveport to gain an understanding of the Negro community, unquote. And all of the names that we venerate as our founding fathers were appeared therein. At that time, Shreveport was 126,000 people, and um, uh, 32% were minority. They lived, they took a, a survey of the housing stock, and they 
out of 14,000 houses, only 3,000 had indoor flush privies, uh, toilets, they said. And then there were 3,000, no, 2,700 outdoor flush toilets. And around 32% were a minority. They lived, they took a, a survey of the housing stock and they, out of 14,000 houses, only 3,000 had end on me that uh, we had been there were lived through over three thousand we pretty lucky few and and so then there were about two thousand we now withstand nothing with exclamation points of a real test of faith. And it really is. We know nothing for sure. Nothing. Our minds cannot truly encompass the, whatever the real reality of our universe is. With absolute certainty, we cannot do it. There's not a human being that can attain unto that kind of certainty. I'm talking absolute certainty. Yes. And, it, and it really, the faith, the fundamental faith that really, there, there are only two fundamental faiths. There might be varying shades within, but two fundamental. One fundamental is to say that really it is self-centeredness that is the regnant nature of human beings. It really is. And even though there might be historical, empirical evidence, and so that that's not the case, that they always tell our folks are more Washington, don't, there, there is some evidence that, that it could be a different nature in human beings, yeah, but there is a massive amount of evidence to show that indeed it is that not nature as well as mankind is red in tooth and claw. And everything is simply based on narcissism, our whole political structure, and everything else, and the groups that we run with, and it would be the triumph of the individual writ large in groups that wins. So you really can have faith that that's going to win. Or you can have faith that there is an empathic nature in human beings that connects us in this incredible thing that we call love. I had to back up when I, I, I drove in, I drove in too quick. I had to back up. I went, whoa, what did I just see? Because I just saw your sign that said something to the effect, and I hope this is right, uh, when the power of love wins over the love of power, then humanity, then we'll have a new world. Something to that effect. I'm going to write it down because I want to get it absolutely right. So there's plenty of evidence that says that it is love that wins. 
there is the history is rife with empirical evidence that that's true. But there's also evidence to the contrary, to say that that's not true. So it is by faith that we live. It is by faith that we walk and not by sight. And so let me just share that when Jesus talked about faith and he said you can have the faith, even if it's a little bit, you can say to a mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. And I have to share autobiographically that when I first read those words, when I was seven years old, I decided to test Jesus. And here's the test that I made. I had, I was certain I had faith. And I thought, this is pretty neat stuff. I, if I would have been able to transport myself into the, into the late 70s, I could say the force is with us. And at the bottom of my bed with the picture, I can still picture this little boy fishing on a pier. And I said, I am fixing to pray that dude away. And I turned out the light and I prayed as fervently as I could possibly pray that that picture would be gone. True story. I mean, as a seven-year-old would pray fervently, I prayed fervently. And I woke up early when it was still dark because I couldn't see at the bottom of my bed if the picture was still there. And then the dark turned to purple, deep purple. I still couldn't see. And then the purple began to give way to the light. And, of course, what did I see? The picture was still there. Do you know how that affected me? I pastored for 18 years and never preached a sermon on that passage, ever. That's how it affected me. I just didn't believe it. And then I came back home to Shreveport. And I began to understand what mountains were like. Mountains in that era, throughout all of literature, were always obstacles, challenges, things that were so tough that you just, how in the world could you conquer them? And I began to understand that, that we live in the middle of a mountain range of our making. Now there are the Alps and the Alleghenies and the White Mountains of New York and the Smokies and the Rockies. But the mountains in Shreveport, we made. Mountains of, of ignorance. Mountains of racism. I moved back in the middle of an election where one of the candidates was the former Grand Wizard 
of the KKK and came within an eyelash of becoming the governor of our state. And two out of three white people walking the streets of my city voted for him. And they had been in church all their lives. Mountains of racism. And it's real. Mountains, mountains of meanness. Now, I was a preacher. Stick a knife in you, right between your ribs, and I ran into two misted at the same people at the same time. So don't tell me about me. I'll quote scripture and stick a knife in you. Right between your ribs and twisted at always same time. So don't say, tell me about mean. I always said bad people are in jail, but bad people are in jail, but evil people are in church. Preach, I love you, but watch out for the butts. Give me a person of mean single time. Self-centeredness. Preach, I love you, but. Watch. How do you get people to be like the king and give away his bread? Even if it is to get rid of barking dogs. How, do, how does that happen? How do we give it up and begin to apply ourselves to our brothers and sisters? So, mountains. And I went, good heavens, what can we do? Well, I'm going to tell you just about how smart I am, which isn't real smart, because the answer came in a way I never possibly dreamed it would come, ever. I wasn't prepared. I had tuned in. It was, I thought it was 8 o'clock, and I had tuned in to a, a program on the Discovery Channel that had to do with, uh, with dinosaurs. I like watching programs about dinosaurs, particularly if it's got Tyrannosaurus Rex. There's something about Tyrannosaurus Rex that attracts me. I don't know what it is. If we got a psychiatrist here, help me. <laughs> and so what I'd done is, I'd, but I'd gotten there about two minutes too early. And with practice finger that we men can do when we are in control of the channel changer, because we can watch 17 shows all at once, and we can know what's going on. Judy finally says, give me that thing. I want to see if they get married. I said, well, I'll be. And then the actor said something, the narrator, that stopped my thumb in midair, and I watched for two minutes. And then did something I've never done in my life. The show was over. I picked up the telephone, called the 1-800 number listed, and ordered a videotape of an hour-long program, the last, you know. <laughs> and so I was just ready to hit it because the screen was filled with a glob of ants, and they were just boiled two minutes all over, which I had just witnessed. And I was ready to hit and gave them my reps and sacred and the decent car number. I've never done that. Ever. I went in and told Judy, I said, Judy, I just ordered a videotape and gave them our visa card number. She said, you did what? She's the keeper of the purse strings in our house. And, and I said, you know, I, I did, what was the name of it? it? Well, it was called The Ultimate Guide to Ants. She said, you did what? 
And I said, you know, I, I, you know, I did it. It's unbelievable. You got to see this. She said, I'll see it. It took six weeks to get there, and I suffered every. Well, where is it? Yeah, I knew it. So, so what did I see that made me do that? Here's what I saw. Here's what the announcer said. The announcer said, ants have been living in successful societies for millions of years. And then they had an experiment. They showed the ants, and if ants can be in consternation, these ants were in consternation. And they were on a table just like this. It was bare. And they had their little little ant eggs, and then they had globs of sand, and they couldn't they couldn't get safe. They didn't have enough sand to protect their little ant eggs. And let me tell you, they were upset. And there was a little mud hutch. Then there was a table right beside there. And then they took one straw that was about an ant width wide and stretched it across the table. And one ant kind of tentatively made its way across the straw and then got over to this dirt dauber's nest and with its tentacles, it felt every single millimeter of space and then repeated the process. Then that ant did something astonishing. It crossed back over and it bodily picked up another ant. And that ant let it. It got on. Didn't say we need to have a board of directors meeting or anything. Just, you know, we don't need to know interfaith stuff. Just, all right, I'm on. And that ant carried him back across and they repeated the same process. Now it was two ants. Two ants. And two ants go back. And now it's four. And four become eight. And eight become 16. And 16, 32. And 64, I saw it with my own eyes. And some unknown, unseen signal went through that entire colony. And they all stood up. Some grabbed grains of sand. Some grabbed ant eggs. They brought the eggs over, put them here. And they closed it in and left an opening, and you could see this discernible, let's be ants again. They just relaxed, and you know, if you watch ants, they're bumping each other. How's it going? Good. The babies are safe. They're bumping, you know. And all, and I watched in two minutes an entire colony become mobilized and march and solve what was to them a mountain. And I went, that's it. That's how you move mountains. You don't wish them away. You see, as a seven-year-old, what I thought was faith was a wish. You know how that picture could have disappeared from my wall? If I'd have gotten up and gotten down there and picked the picture up and moved it. Faith is not a wish, it's a step. It's a step 
that is enfolded in the greatest commitment that human beings can have. It's enfolded in love, and love actuates a step, and that fulfills our hopes. And so the formula came, a simple act, answer not, not real sharp, you know, among the creatures. They're doing better than human beings right now. A simple act put into a system will solve a sophisticated problem. A simple act put into a, you give enough ants, enough time, and they'll take down Mount Everest. I promise you. And they're just doing it systematically. So I said, why don't we take this incredible power we've been given not simply to care for each other but to put it into a system because random acts of kindness are not going to stick the power that's residual and move mountains all they're episodic and connect caring people we've got to take the power that's residual in all of us and connect caring people and by faith, step out and let's go take the mountains down together. And that means that rich and poor, black, white, brown, purple. And by faith, step out, young, old, and let's go take the mountains down. Name all the diversity that we and so it's not, it's not rocket science. Celebrate diversity. But we, we're going to have to transcend that. But it is our common faith and its commitment to nature plus all is empathy for one another. One final word. They've just discovered that human beings physiologically have mirror neurons. Have you read about them? You ought to read about them. We're wired to care for each other. Have you ever been around anybody that absolutely got hysterical and you didn't know what they were laughing at? I mean, just got down. And you didn't know what they were laughing at. And they couldn't stop laughing. And, you know, you can watch America's funniest home videos and watch these babies start laughing. You don't know what they're laughing at. And I'm telling you what, if you can sit on your hands and keep a frown, then you, you just, for some reason, you're not homo sapiens with mirror neurons because we just, a baby smiles at you, you have to smile back. We have to. We're wired that way. In the paragraph, that's human nature. Now, there are a few that we don't understand yet called psychopathic, sociopathic personalities that don't appear to have an empathic nature. We're going to figure it out. But we are wired with this connected nature. And once we can set that free, and that's what we're seeking to do in Shreveport and Bossier City, is to demonstrate a whole city doing that so others can learn. We're not interested in, in franchising anything, but if they want to come learn, come here and see how we're by faith connecting. I'm going to invite you to do something. I wouldn't be me if I didn't. 
Outside here, I brought a bunch of cards that say we care. And here's what we're doing. We now have 48,000 people that have signed these cards and told one thing that they're doing to help somebody. Because we're all, that's how we are. The problem is we don't know who's on the team. We don't know who's on the caring team. So we wear uh, a button or a bumper sticker. And I'm going to tell you, if your car does not have a We Care sticker, it is living in sin. (laughs) I'm just telling you, i got to preach this. And I want saved cars. And now we're getting signs in front of folks' houses in what we thought were the scariest neighborhoods or what we thought were the snobbiest. And we see the emerging majority of the biggest gang in town. And we're all doing different things to care. But this way we can begin to emotionally and psychologically and then in reality care together. And when we've done that, as Teilhard de Chardin has said, mankind will have discovered fire for the second time in our history. God bless you.